and just tell us. How many of you have a favorite season? Raise your hand if you have a favorite season. There's one season that sticks out. It's your favorite. All right. How many of you, you don't have any favorite season and you're just like, whatever, they all roll in, they roll out, and I'm, I'm fine with whatever. All right. Got a couple of you in there. How many of you would say that summer is your favorite season? Raise your hand if summer is your favorite season. All right. How many of you would say that fall is your favorite season? How about winter? How about spring? You know, I said this last night. We all now we have a, a split service. Well, we have mirrored services, and so uh, Saturday nights at six thirty, and then Sunday mornings at ten a.m. So, to the group that was here yesterday, I said I was a little surprised. I was expecting it to be summer, spring, but fall has won both both services. Fall actually has won won both times, and so and I like fall. I don't mind fall, but to me, fall in my brain is kind of like I think about leaves and work. And also, I like to try and golf, and I'm not an incredible golfer. And so, like, a lot of good golfers, they hit their ball down the fairway. And when you're in the fairway, you don't have to, it's, it's easy, you know. And I don't, I don't, I get my money's worth when I golf. I want to see the whole course. I don't want to just stay in the middle. And so, when my golf ball goes off, I have to go look for it. And so, when there's leaves on the ground, it's, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. So, it's not very fun for me. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of winter. My, my wife, she'll say, I love a white Christmas. And I'm like, Google it. Like, I'm fine. You drop a palm tree in my front yard, I'll stand, I'll stand around that thing and say, oh, Christmas tree. Oh, I don't care. That's fine with me. I grew up in Wisconsin. I can live the rest of my life and never see another snowflake. And I'm fine. I'm fine. But today I want to preach a message, and if you're a guest here, we're so thankful that you are here. You chose an interesting time to come because this is not just a biblically-based message where we call for a response, but it's also a vision message, one that sets the tone for where we're going as a church. And so I don't want you to feel like an outsider. As a matter of fact, I want you to sit and hear this and go, I pray that you leave this place going, I want to be a part of that vision. I pray that you do. And so it's really a vision message, and the title of this message is, The Next Season is Coming. The Next Season is Coming. Would you pray with me? Lord, God, we need you today. Lord, I believe you've given me a very, a very clear word, Lord God, to share with the church. And, and Lord, not only here today, but watching online, and help our hearts and minds to be open, receptive, engaged, and that, Lord, that the vision would be clear, Lord God, and that you would use me today to speak your vision. I don't want it to be my vision. I want it to be your vision, Lord. So bring it with clarity, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Each season brings a special blessing. Even the ones we don't like much. I asked you about ones you love and if you have a preference. Is there anybody here that you dislike a season? Like there is one season you're like, oh, I don't like that season. Raise your hand if you don't like that season. It's funny because some of you, I know you well, and I can look at your hands and know which season you hate. David and Jacob back there hate summer. They, they're, they're not. <laughs> I suppose when you work in a factory, that makes sense. But winter is good for the world around us. 
Many plants, they, you know, they need shorter days and lower temperatures to become dormant. This way, plants store up energy for new growth. If a, if a fruit tree doesn't have enough chilling time, it will produce fewer, weaker buds. And strong winter also means fewer bugs. That, now, I'm, I'm a fan of that. You know, I don't think, I'm like, oh, it's a mild winter. No, snow, yes. And then you, like, summer rolls around, you walk outside, and you're like, oh. And you just get ate alive, right? But mosquito populations hiding outside, they, they, they can be cut back by the severe cold. It also helps prevent diseases that mosquitoes carry. Winter's good for people as well. Studies show that people think more clearly in cold temperatures. That's interesting. People sleep better in winter because as people go to sleep, their body temperature lowers. And in the summer, that can take up to two hours. That's why I like to go, when I go to hotel rooms, I like to crank that thing to 64, you know. Anybody else do that when you go to a hotel room? My wife is like, honey, we can't do that. And so then I'm like, ah. So, and I'll wake up during the night, that thing's on 72, and I'm sweating. I'm like, what did she do? Lord, the woman that thou gave me. Winter does things we don't always see or understand. Spring is a season of new beginnings. Fresh buds bloom and animals awaken. The earth seems to come to life. The brown grass starts to get color and look nice again. The timing of these changes obviously depends on location. But spring is a time with new beginnings, fresh start. Summer, plants and trees give fruit. A lot of fruit. Uh, Flowers are blooming in different colors, and there's energy in the air and travel on the calendar, which is wonderful, but sometimes as a pastor, you're like, man, I can't wait till summer ends. I've been preaching to a lot of empty pews, but I'm thankful that we have a church that people can go on vacation. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. And how about thunderstorms? We just had some this last week. Got four shingles off the, I'm calling on Andrew again. He's like our shingle guy, and and we, every, every thunderstorm, the wind's blowing, rips shingles off, and we're at the, I, I don't know if you know this, but this church sits on the highest elevation in the City of Liberty right here, and so we catch a lot of, a lot of that wind, and, but that's an important phenomenon. It, thunderstorms, they, it, during a hot period, they, it allows crops to grow, and, and storms often precede a harvest. I'm not just talking weather anymore, I hope you caught that. Storms often precede a harvest. Fall's a time of change. It represents the preservation of life, basic necessities. During this time, animals prepare for the winter by storing food and creating cozy hibernation spaces. Farmers work on their fall harvest by collecting a reserve of crops. So fall is not only a season of change, but it's a season of preparation. It's amazing. Every season speaks to God and his plan, I think also for the church too, not just climate. Each season there brings a specific benefit, whether or not, even if we don't enjoy the benefit. Just like that, each season of our walk with God is a journey and it brings a special benefit. Even if we don't always understand it or like it, there's a period of cold and in darkness, and there's a period of light and life. There's a period of a planting. There's a period of harvesting. Matter of fact, you know, Scripture even tells us this. It talks about seasons in the Bible. Everything that God does is with purpose. It's Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season. It's interesting. He's, he, he's talking about life and church and, 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 and just our 
our lives in general, and he calls it a season. A time and a purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep, to laugh, mourn, dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Youth group, right now is your time to refrain from embracing. I'm preaching that to my beautiful daughter regularly. By the way, every time I say something about her, I go home and ask if that was all right, and she gives me, says it's okay, so I'm not embarrassing her. So. But a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak. That one's tough sometimes, right? A time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. There's just seasons of life and there's seasons of ministry. And when you go to Hebrews 11, it's known as the hall of faith. You know, in sports, you have the hall of fame. Well, they call the 11th chapter of Hebrews the hall of faith because it's just jam-packed. It's just, you should read. I actually thought about reading the whole chapter because it's so powerful, but it's like 40 verses and it's probably too long, but... It's, it's just lists of men and women who walked in faith. And just look at a couple of the individual journeys. Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and rewards those who sincerely, or King James says, diligently seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a boat a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who had warned him about things that had never happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. Look at this, though. Noah built a boat. It had never rained before. And Noah is building something for the future. He, he, he says, I'm building for something that's not even here yet. But you know what we tend to do? Humanity in general, it's like, well, hey, it started drizzling. We better throw something together that floats. But the problem is, is faith does things before it's needed. 11.10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city. Faith. Hebrews 11.13 gives us kind of a synopsis of each of these stories of faith. It says, all these people died still believing that God, what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. Some of them, Moses didn't go into the promised land. He got to see it. And it says they sought from a distance. But this is not just a land of promise in the Old Testament. It's also a new Jerusalem, heaven. And it says they agreed they were foreigners, nomads on the earth. Because this earth is not our home. It says, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country. Meaning, again, forward. It's not here yet, but that's what my sight is set on. If they long for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But God's people are not called to go back. But they were looking for a better place. Really, the theme of the whole book of Hebrews is better things. In Hebrews eleven twenty, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons. 
Jacob and Esau. So Isaac, no, he's not just saying Jacob, Esau. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm promising you blessing in the future. It's coming. It's not here yet. But let's talk about the things that are coming as though they were. And in verse 22, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, 430 years the Israelites had spent in Egyptian bondage. And Joseph is a part of this. And, and Joseph, it's right after he dies that they, that they get put in bondage. And, and so Joseph, it says, when he was about to die, he said constantly to the people, he says, he commanded them that one day you're going to leave Egypt. And when you do, take my bones with me and bury them in my homeland. They're not even in it, but he says, I can foresee a day in the future where you're going to leave this nation. Even though there were seasons and there's times of transition and change, times of challenge and frustration, when you read through the 11th chapter of Hebrew, you, re you will read about times of building, blessing, searching, planting, traveling, hiding, deliverance, sacrifice, loss, sadness, confusion, fear. But the 11th chapter of Hebrew is not based on those things. It's based on faith through those things. And that's why in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the very first verse says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is something that is based on what we can't see. It's something that we're hoping for even when there's not evidence. It's something that faith is something that's not dictated by the current season. Because seasons, we know, we can look back and say, hey, why do I teach a Bible study? Yeah, well, the last two I taught, nobody made a stand. Nobody stood for God. Nobody came to church. Nobody really got kind of responded to what, it doesn't matter. Because I know, just like seasons, I know that even when the winter's long and it drops to below zero and there's 14 inches of snow, this doesn't last forever. I know that when it's 102 degrees like it was, you're going, Lord, I really don't want to go to hell. Like, Wow. I really don't want to go, you know, because, you know, seasons change. We know this in Missouri because often seasons change in one day. You can sometimes see all four seasons in one day. It's amazing. And I'll never, I'm not, I, I, believe me, it's better than Wisconsin. Wisconsin, it's just like snow, cold, snow, cold, snow. It's spring, and then it's 24 hours later. Wait, it's super hot, and then bam, it's snowing again. And you're just like, so I'll take whatever Missouri brings. It's fine. But it is interesting because you didn't get to see four seasons in one day in Wisconsin. Here, I remember right when I moved here, I was so pumped. Right after I moved here, I golfed on New Year's Eve day one time. I was like, this would never happen in Wisconsin. It was really windy, but it was fun. But faith, faith is what, you know what, it doesn't matter, the season I know they change because I've seen it before. I've seen the transitions, and I know the seasons always change. And when we walk with God, we too, faith is going, hey, it doesn't matter. My life, my faith is not dictated. I'm, it's not dictated by the season. But through every season, my faith continues to look forward. It's looking forward to the next season. Faith always looks forward. This is why we read these same phrases. Noah was building a boat for what was to come. Abraham, confidently looking forward. Although they didn't see the promise, they saw it from a distance. They were looking forward to a country. They could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place. Faith looks 
forward. Faith sees the present circumstance, acknowledges, hey, it might be summer, fall, winter, spring. I might hate whatever season I'm in. You ever been in a season in life and you hate it? I know we're not supposed to say that we're supposed to just rejoice in every season, but if we're realistic, we are human beings, and there's times we're in a season, we're like, God, I hate this season, help me. It might not be your favorite season, but faith looks forward. It does not just look at today. It prepares for what's coming next. It says, hey, we need to build a boat. People might think you're crazy for looking to the future and beginning to plan for the future. It seems too early. That's not even a storm cloud. I mean, this is nuts. Elijah starts running. There's not even a cloud. We better go. There's a cloud like a man's hand. We need to get going. And people think you're crazy sometimes when you step out in faith. I am priming you for where we're going. I want you to know that. Because even in church settings, sometimes we're going to do things. We say, do we really need this? Is this really necessary? <laughs> really? Still, we really need to build a building? We got some empty pews. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Saturday, we don't really have that many people coming. It said, why, why are we even trying to? I, mean, I think we can wait on that. I want you to know I have always, we've been here now 12 years, I have always aimed to pastor this church as if it's double the size it is. Because if we start trying to make adjustments when they're needed, it's too late. And so we always are looking forward to the next step. What's coming next? Because at Refuge Church, we seem to be doing great. Mirrored services. Got people coming. On, on, you know, I mean, we came here like 12 years ago. There were 18 people. And some of you are those original 18 people. And we're thankful that you stuck with us. Right, Sister Waller? But now, on a weekend... We're averaging probably 140 people. We got 180 coming to some repeat from people serving in ministry. But a weekend, there'll be 180. There might be 200 some weekends where people are coming through the doors of this church. We're trading this building for land. We're going to be constructing a new sanctuary to allow God to continue to send us more people and us to make disciples and minister to a hurting or lost community. I'm thankful for that. But God started dealing with me about six months ago. And if we focus just on today's season, we will not be ready for the next season. If we don't start building the boat until we need the boat, it's too late. So I've been praying, fasting, talking to leaders in my life, reading and studying, and I feel like fall is upon us. It's a season of transition. And I say that, whether or not you're excited or sad about this, that doesn't mean my wife and I, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Some of you might be like, oh, I don't want them to transition. And others of you are like, man, bummer. I was hoping we were going to get somebody new. <laughs> we're not transitioning out, but the church as a whole, it's time for transition. And in 12 years of us being here, and this church is longer than us, but obviously that's all I can speak to. I wasn't here prior to that. But we have seen a lot of different seasons. 
There's been seasons where harvests, man, whoa, God's doing it. There were seasons where we're planting and working hard. We, not just us, I'm talking about the church. There's seasons where I felt like winter was never going to end. Seasons of preparation, seasons of harvest, seasons of beauty, seasons of growth, seasons of, uh, we've seen all these seasons. But God has started dealing with me about the next season. I'm going to be very open, transparent today, not only for you, but those watching online. I'm sure this will get viewed later. Research points to the fact that one person can only effectively pastor about 76 people. We currently, as I said, about 140 people coming to Refuge Church. And we're still growing, and I've talked to people, and I said, yeah, I just don't know what, what next. And I've talked to people who have gone beyond where we are, and they have said, the reason you guys are able to keep growing is because you have a great leadership team and solid systems and structure. But in your current trajectory, you're not going to be able to continue. And I noticed that I am starting to spread myself a bit thin. I notice that I no longer can touch every person, get to know about all the things that everyone's dealing with, attend every birthday party, counsel every couple or individual, deal with every administrative question, handle problems about plumbing, church fans, landscaping, advertising, making sure baptismal waters are clean and warm, blueprints for a com building, community projects. And right now, for the moment, my wife and I oversee children's ministry too. So I know that the current model is not effective. This is not a pity party. This is not me looking for a raise. We're, we're, you, our board compensates us well. We're blessed. But it's me going, it's not a pity party. I just know that God is calling us to transition to the next phase of growth. This is also not me trying to make you feel bad so that after service you walk up to me and go, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't be talking to you because you're busy. Like, don't even do that. I'm here. I love you. I want to serve you, and I still am capable of serving you. I'm just looking, going, where we are headed, the current structure is not going to facilitate continued growth. Many churches never get away from the pastor being the one who oversees everything. And, and we don't oversee everything, and we have great teams here. It can be a difficult transition, though. It's, it's why... Do you know the average, anyone have a guess of what the average church size is in America? It is 70. The average church in America is 70. Isn't it interesting that research points to one person can effectively pastor around 76 people and the average church in America is 70. Because it's very difficult to make that transition. It's often difficult for the pastor because the pastor, a lot of pastors, well, hey, hey you need to run that by me. Bring that over here to me. I got to have my thumb on that and you, you got to run that past me. Have you approved that with me? I want you to know I am not that pastor. Anybody that's worked with me on leadership team knows that's not me. 
I'm very much about team mentality, empowerment. But, but that's the reason why in the U.S. that a lot of pastors, that's exhilarating. It's thrilling that there's authority there and you can run things by me and I have my voice and my hand and all these things. And so it can be difficult to make the transition. It's, tr- it's difficult, honestly, sometimes for the churches to make the transition. Because they're used to dealing with one person who helps in these various areas. And I know that for you, you're not like, whoa, bro, you ain't that important in my life. Like, I say I can't touch everyone. That's because it's important to me, not because I'm saying it's important to you. I know that most of you are not coming here going, I, I hope he comes and shakes my hand this morning. You're like, whatever. I mean, you're, you're okay with it. But for me, I like interacting with the families of this church. And hearing about how things are going. But I strongly hesitate. I know I'm talking a little bit about us and ourselves. And I hate that because I don't typically preach like that. But this is a vision casting message. And, and I strongly, I can't emphasize that enough. I strongly hesitate to mention myself in the same breath as the apostles. I mean, like, that makes me so uncomfortable. But I understand that our calling is the same. And that's to reach a lost and dying world and make disciples. And in the New Testament, as the church started growing after the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, these men realized that they were starting to deal with a lot of administrative issues. And look at Acts 6, verse 1. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. I mean, the church is growing, revival. People are coming in by the droves. God's doing great things. And there are rumblings of discontent. Now, that would never happen here. But it happened here in this book of Acts, church. And it says the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. To my knowledge, nobody here speaks Greek or Hebrew, so we're good, right? This won't happen to us. Saying their widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting with all the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word. Not running a food program. Stay there. I wonder if the group of Christians that gathered, if that rubbed some of them the wrong way. I mean, I remember when we came here. With about 18 people, there were sometimes people were like, well, hey, why aren't you helping with my ministry? My, you know, there was an expectation that we should be involved in all the ministries. But I knew I'm not going to even open that door, even though I could have with that many people. I said, I'm, again, I'm looking to the next season. And I want you to know, I would never ask anyone here to do anything that I have not done. If you were to talk to people back in Wisconsin where I grew up, in the church I grew up in, I was an usher. I cleaned the church. I prayed, sang. I did projection, sound. I, I worked in the parking lot. I took offering. I spoke on the teams. I, I, I did almost everything. that there, I taught Sunday school. I don't think they ever put me in nursery, so thank you, nursery staff, for all you do. You know, that's a good thing. It's just not a lot of like 18, 19, 20-year-old guys working in nursery. But I think it can happen. I think it should happen. But uh, I would never ask anybody to do anything that I 
I'm not willing to do. When there was work days, I was there every time. If I wasn't working, I was there. So if I say, hey, there's a work day, I'm not going to ask you to do something I haven't done myself. But it says that they looked and said, hey, we're, we're supposed to be in the Word. We're not supposed to be running a food. But that, didn't, that does not mean that the food program was below them. It does not mean that they said, this ain't a big deal. You guys are just getting into major and minors. This is foolishness. You need to just get over it. Go handle it yourself. No, they realized that as a church, we have a responsibility to care for widows. And we have a responsibility to look after the church. But we personally can no longer be the ones doing all of this. Not below us. Not that it's not important. We've done it to this point. But we have to begin to look at our structure and set ourselves up for what God wants to continue to do. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. We're going to give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. The purpose was not to put more people into metal and just have more red tape to cut through. It was not that. Their decision was that, hey, we need to do this so that the church as a whole can continue to move forward spiritually. So that instead of just aiming to say, God, what do you want to say to your church next weekend for the next sermon? I want to hear from God for where he's taken the church in the next six months. And I felt myself, even though they're talking about administration, I feel like I have a gift from God for administration, systems, and structure. But I'm feeling like God is dealing with me going, yes, but that is not where I want you focusing anymore. I want you to begin looking to the upcoming months and I want you to be in more in tune just to my voice and to the word so that I can begin to lead the church to the next dimension. We see this same type of thing in the Old Testament. When Moses is trying to do everything in leader. They were in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. Moses' delivery leads them out. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And God's just doing great things. And they're getting out in the wilderness. And Moses, is, is, he's just working. And the people, are so many people there. And look at Exodus 18, 13. It says, the next day Moses took his seat. Took his seat. I mean, he had his own seat. I want you to know, if you want to take my seat, I'll sit there, there. It's fine. I'll sit anywhere. This is not my seat. You can have it. I'll sit wherever. And I'll, I'll, I hope you know, too, and there's no disrespect. I know every church does it different. But one of the things, I, I, I didn't want to seat up here when I came. I want to sit and worship with y'all. That's just my personal preference. I don't want to sit up here and stare at you. Plus, if you're not worshiping, it'll just irritate me. So I'm just going to go down there. I want to come to this pulpit right, right in my head. I am still human. There is times where I'm like, man, if I put a pin on their seat, I wonder if they're, no, 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 no. <laughs> he sat in his seat. That's Moses' seat. Don't sit there. They waited before him from morning till evening. That's a long work day. Moses' father-in-law saw Moses was what he was doing for the people, and he said, uh, 
what are you really trying to accomplish here? Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone else stands around you from morning to evening? You know why a lot of pastors do that? Because it's empowering, exhilarating. I'm needed. That's my seat. These are my people. <laughs> Moses says, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. I wonder if his chest went out a little bit, you know, dealing with his father-in-law. We all have father-in-laws that we want to impress. <laughs> because the people come to me to hear from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one from my seat. Who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decree and give them his instruction. <laughs> to which Jethro's father-in-law just says, uh, Moses, this, this ain't good. <laughs> not too much said there. He just looks at him and goes, you done now? That's, that's not good. <laughs> Every once in a blue moon, father-in-laws are right. And I'm probably never going to live that down that I just admitted that. <laughs> Years from now, my father-in-law is going to say, you know what was probably one of the best messages you've ever preached? <laughs> the one where you said father-in-laws are right. He says, this is not good. He says, uh, you're going to wear yourself out. And guess what? When the leader wears him or herself out, it wears the people out too. Because when a leader only gives from an empty vessel, they burn out and the people eat the spiritual meal from an empty trough, from an empty plate. He says, this ain't good. This job is too heavy of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So what does he say? Quit. Find a different profession. Do something else. No, no, no. Look what he says. He says, now listen to me. Let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. I'm going to drop this in your lap. It's up to you what you want to do with it. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes before him. You need to stay in your same spiritual place, leading the people and serving them. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders of groups of 1,150 and 10. Moses, you need to form a leadership structure that is healthy for all involved and sets you up for continued growth. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, then you're going to be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men 
from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups, 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought major cases to Moses, but took took care of the smaller matters themselves. I see a blueprint in the book of Acts, in the Old Testament, in Jethro's wisdom. That says, if you want to go to the next level of growth and still make sure everyone involved is healthy, you have to look at the structure of your leadership team. And here's the thing today. God told me to preach this vision message, but there's, not, no, there's no drum roll. So today, there's no announcement. I have no, I have no next steps, no clarity at this moment. But I just want you to know, God instructed me to preach this message of vision to let you know that the transitions and the changes are going to be taking place over the next several months. And I'm sitting here going, God, this is not the right time. (laughs) We're getting ready to try and build a building, and like, now is not the time. Let's talk about this later. We're trying to make sure we're insuring we're getting our loan and getting our blueprints and looking at that. And I just feel God going, no, no, it's the greatest time of ever. Because what happens is I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't know all the details of it. God just said, and it feels weird preaching it this early, but God just spoke to me and said, preach the vision. And then the church is, is ready as I begin to speak to you and put the components in place. Because the next season is coming. And it's going to be an amazing season of harvest. And by the time that we go into a new facility and open that to our community, the structure is going to be such that will facilitate growth and allow multiple people to serve multiple families and make disciples. And I'm going to keep serving as much as I can, but it will not be that's Pastor Gary's seat and go call and text him and talk to him about that. Did you tell, did you run that by Pastor Gary? Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you know what? Uh, we've been meeting with brother and sister. Sister Purcell, or we've been meeting with Brother and Sister Schultz, or we've been meeting with Brother and Sister Chesh, or Brother and Sister Foster, and we've been talking with them. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be like, what? Nobody told me. I'm going to say, those are incredible men and women of God. Whatever they tell you, I'm telling you, follow it. God's going to do a great thing. And I didn't just, that's not ruling anybody else out. That was just random examples. There are so many wise, godly, spirit-filled leaders in this church that can counsel people and pray with people and instruct and lead and be there for people that we're going to start to, to set some things up that allow the continued growth to happen. You see, I feel like God is calling on me and on our, our leadership team to begin working on the church, not just in the church. Hey, can you go? Yeah, I'll go handle that. I, I got to go cover that. No, no, it's I look at my department. I look at my ministry. And how can we go to the next level? How can I begin to? Because leaders reproduce themselves. They don't just oversee everything. There are various challenges to every stage of growth. 50, 200, 500, 750, 1,000. I've been blessed, again, to grow up in a church with 1,400 people. 
This is a big change. I, we were in charge of junior high ministries at that church. Uh, we had been serving there. Our youth group probably had 130 people or something. And we came, and there was 18 total here. So it's a big transition. But when I was in California, we worked at a church that had about 40 people. So it's so beautiful because I got to sit in leadership meetings of a church of 40. I sit in leadership meetings of a church of 1,400. I got to kind of see all of the different strengths and weaknesses and challenges. And, and, and I want you to know something. Both churches are just as valuable. The one of 1,400 is not more valuable than the one of 40. <clears throat> Both churches are beacons of hope and light to their community wherever they are. But some research shows that, do you know what the most, every, there's, there's things called growth barriers. And this is, happens in business and secular, secular realm too. It's not just church. But it happens in church too that there are growth barriers where you get past a certain barrier and then boom. And then you hit the next barrier. And a lot of these writers are saying the most difficult growth barrier to break is 200. There's other challenges to others, but 200 is the most difficult. Why? Why is that? Because like Moses, people get accustomed to going to one person for advice on life and spiritual and personal matters. And it can be tough to transition to move into a team approach. Imagine, imagine going back and you're used to dealing with Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thomas. And all of a sudden they say, God's transitioning me to do something else. We still care and love you. But I need you to go talk to that person. Imagine you're used to waiting in line to talk to Moses in his seat, you know. And all of a sudden he says, oh, no, there's people in charge of the 50s and hundreds and thousands. And I'm focusing on something different now. Do you think that anybody was offended or frustrated by that? No doubt. Because we get used to a certain way of doing things. And, but in order for the next season that was coming, the transition had to take place. And again, I am always aiming to serve this body of believers and lead as though we're double the size of what we are. To prepare for that said thing. Changes needed to be made. To free up time for the, the leader and the, to hear from God and get vision and hear with clarity and not just focus on next weekend's message. See, when we, again, when we moved and had 18 people, that we aimed to begin to delegate. I told our board, hey, disagree with me if you want. Our department heads, talk to me about this. If you disagree, tell me because I think there's strength in that. I think we have to have a safe place for, to share our opinions. There's a proper time and place. You know, Brother Foster got up in his next message and said, I just want you to know, Pastor, I think it was wrong what you said the other night. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> but we look to delegate responsibilities. And that has taken us to where we are now. But now, delegation is no longer going to work. What does that mean? Now we have to move to empowerment. 
Any of those of you who have served in management, maybe a corporate world, and you don't come in every day and go to your, the various offices and cubicles and say, hey, I'm going to need you to do this today. I'm not doing it all myself. I'm delegating. Hey, if you guys could please take care of that. If you guys wouldn't mind sending that out so we'll be set there, that organization would fail within days. But it's empowering someone, not delegating not saying, I need you to do this, can you take care of this? And then they go take care of it. But me owning the decision and saying, no, I am empowered to walk in what I've been called to do in this area. And that's what we need. We have somewhat, but we need more of it. Granted, Refuge Church is not at the level of the Israelites where we have millions of people and we're starting to delegate in tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. Not yet, at least. We're not the New Testament church where we have so many issues we have to bring on seven full-time deacons to help monitor things. We're not there. But it is biblically it shows me there's tweaks needed in our current leadership model and structure. I had somebody tell me yesterday, you, you said a lot. of I, I didn't expect you to be that open, but I said, this is the only way I know how to lead and serve because... I'm not going to just speak in riddles like, hey, you're the church. This is, this is God's church. We're all apart. So I'm going to just tell you what God's laid on my heart, and we're going to move this way. Because the next season's coming. And I won't be much longer. But this statement, I know there, it, there's almost a, kind of a strange tension when I preach this. Because I think for some, it's like, well, what changes are I going to make? What does this look like for me and my family? What is this going to look like for the church? And really, is the church going to grow that big? I've actually had people say to me in times past, I, 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 I just kind of hope the church stays this size. I don't really want to be a part of a real, real big church. And I try to nicely go, well, I, I hope you stick around. Because when we're trying to come up with blueprints, the construction people, I've told you this, they'll say, well, how big do you want the church to be? I'm like, well, I think there's 36,000 people in Liberty, so I guess 36,000. Like, maybe we, we got a lot of people in the surrounding communities that come here, so maybe we should up that, maybe 120,000. I, I mean, like... To me, I'm not looking to, like, my goal is not, oh, I want to build a mega church. I want to be on TV. I want to make more money. I want to have more people. I want to have more fame. Like, no. But it's, if there's a lost and dying world in the surrounding communities, who am I to say, well, we're going to cap it at here? Because now, I was a part of a church that even 1,400 people, there were small groups. There were events. There were ways. I believe that the church needs to be connected, and that's where leadership has to come come up with plans on how do we continue to make that camaraderie and connection and, and intimacy in, this, in the community and in the conversation and small groups and how do we ensure that that happens as the church continues to grow. That's the answer, not uh, we just need to not bring so many people because we like it, us four and no more. This statement might rock your world, but knowing everyone in your church is not the definition of a healthy church. Matter of fact, it might be the definition of an unhealthy church. I remember when 
a couple years back, I started to say something to somebody, and they go, now, who's that? And I said, oh, yeah, she sits on the side, and about five, six rows back, you know, the, oh, okay, I, I, don't, I don't know who that is. And part of me, I was like, yes! <laughs> I remember when I first started walking outside, and I was like, whose truck is that? That's a sweet truck. And I was like, I don't know everybody's cars in the parking lot anymore. Yes! If you walk in and you just know everybody's name every weekend, there is a major, massive problem in the church. Yeah, but I kind of like that. Begin to pray that God will remove that from you. Begin to pray that God will give you a burden to begin to walk up and have uncomfortable conversations as you walk up to strangers and say, hey, my name's Gary. My name's so-and-so. It is so nice to meet you. What's your name? And say, I'm going to be intentional because I want to remember that person's name. And I pray to God we got a whole long list every weekend of new names to learn. Because to me, that is a healthy church. At this church, we have never been just concerned about, oh, numbers and finances. And God is God's church. He fills it up. He provides the money. He provides the resources. But we have always been concerned with, are we being the most effective version of ourselves that we can be? What? Because we cannot just, the minute we just settle in and say, man, we're just, we're just good. We got good music, good lights, and we're going to build a new building. This is great. This is wonderful. Like, no, we have to begin to say, okay, God, what's the next season? And it's, it's, it's tough because you get here, and then you're like, cool, and God starts pushing you to the next season, and you get there, and you're like, whew, that was hard work, but thank God, look back at what he's done, yep, now let's get ready for the next season, because that's the way he wants the church to be, because he's calling us the time that we are left on this earth is very short, and so there are people all over around this church, behind, sides, front, back, within a drive of this church, who are hurting and broken and wondering what, what God's got from him. Is there is a, if there is a God, can God really touch my situation? Can he really heal my family? Can he restore my marriage? Can God really use my life after all that I've done? I want to go reach those people. I want them sitting in these pews and pews at the next building. And I want to have a team of people around us that are serving these people and empowering these people and reproducing themselves in these people so that new leaders are stepping up and we're sending off new churches to be planted in unchurched communities because there's a leadership team that's developing and, 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 and investing in people who are stepping. They're making disciples. And those people are now stepping in and stepping in leadership positions. I want that. So no, there's no official announcements today. But here's the announcement. God continues to give me vision. And I'm going to continue to preach that vision because God is now getting us ready, not just to build a building. It's going to be fun. It's going to be work. But more important to me, is getting our team set and our structure such that we are ready to serve more families, more community. Because, you know, being a good steward is not just money. Right now, if you say, go oh God, if you just send us 100 people, we ain't ready for it. Our system and structure is such, we're not ready. 
And I remember we hit here before several years ago. And we tweaked some things. And now we've seen another season of growth. And I feel almost the exact same thing. Where God now has given me that same feeling that he did years ago. And it's once again time to tweak some things. And watch the next season of growth. And guess what? A couple of years from now, we won't be preaching this again. Because I will not limit my God. I will not limit my God. And so you will see these changes coming, and when they do, I'll communicate them. But right now, I have no announcements. But as I close this message up, this message is not just for the church. And you're sitting here going, well, that was interesting. You could have made this announcement on a video on YouTube. No, this is a word for you personally. Joseph was one of the heroes listed in the Hall of Faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Musicians, you can come. That way they know I'm really wrapping up. Joseph twice had seasons of his life that looked just, they were despair. I mean, here is this young guy. God gives him a vision, and he goes to his brothers like, guys, this is so awesome. I had a vision, and you guys as my brothers were bowing down and worshiping me. It was so awesome. And his brothers just didn't share that excitement. Anybody got a brother? Okay. I know my sister wouldn't be excited if I was like, Pam, you were worshiping me, bowing down. It was awesome. <laughs> or my father-in-law, that'd be fun too. <laughs> I've never given you so many shout-outs from the pulpit. But they said, let's kill him. And one brother, no, you can't kill him. Just throw him in a pit. Let him die down there. Hey, there's some traitors. Let's sell him. Great idea. We'll make some money off this knucklehead. And then he goes to Egypt, gets sold. He's in the, the man that's about second in command to Pharaoh. And he's working in Potiphar's home. And wow, finally things are going well. They're looking up. And then he was obviously a handsome guy. Potiphar's wife throws herself at him. He's like, uh-uh, I'm getting out of here. She holds on to his coat and tries to frame him. No, he tried to force himself on me. Potiphar's got no choice. Throw him in the dungeon. And he's in Egypt in a Pharaoh's dungeon. And I'm just wondering if this guy's sitting there going, what in the world happened here, God? You like, you called me and you spoke to me and you gave me this vision and I even spoke it into existence. I thought I was heading the right direction and now all I keep doing is getting thrown in dungeons and pits and put on lockdown and, and everybody that's close to me stabbing me in the back. I can't trust anybody. I don't even know if I trust you. Because every time it seems like something's going to start to go right, it's just two steps forward and four steps back and now I'm in another prison. This stinks. These were just seasons. And guess what? Like we live in Missouri, seasons can change really fast. So here's Joseph. Been lied on again. Sitting in, I'm in it wasn't no nice prison. It's probably some dark dungeon, damp, nasty, smelling, dirty. Probably locked down to a concrete floor. Maybe wondering, 
what's next? Because if I hate winter, I'm in the middle of winter. This stinks. Genesis 41, 14 says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. I don't know how long it takes you guys to shave and change your clothes. Can't imagine some guys probably can do that in 10 minutes. Others, my Lord, it might take an hour. I don't know. But here this guy is, locked to this floor, sitting down, wondering, what in the world is my next season? Is this it? And in just the course of moments, just moments, Pharaoh says, go get me that guy, the dream interpreter. And Joseph's sitting there. And scripture says, he was quickly brought from prison into a position of standing before the most powerful human being in the known world at that time in just moments. It was a walk probably. Just imagine from that back door to this front that you were from prisoner with no hope and future where everybody turned on you to all of a sudden a place of being empowered and authority before the king of the known world of that time. And as you stand to your feet, I just have a word as we close this up. For someone here today, God has spoken things to you. Hear me. Maybe watching online. Someone here, somebody watching online that, oh man, I'm telling you, I remember God used to give me, he gave me a vision. He spoke this to me once. It just seems like, it just seems like every time I, I, I try to step into it and I, I mess up or somebody else messes it up or people treat me unfairly or unkindly or nobody believes in me and, and I, I just, I don't know. And so I feel like every time I try to take a step forward, something happens and, and maybe this is just where I'm destined to be. I, I don't know what the next season brings, but I'm in the middle of a terrible season. And I just want you to see here as we close this that God's speaking to someone that your season right now, all of these seasons for Joseph led him up to this very moment where he was going to go from the prison and be elevated to a place of authority instantaneously. It did, it's not like he had to climb a career path and go from like, well, I went to the prison, then he started, in the, and then he came out, and then he started working here, and then he worked here. Like he literally went from prison to power that fast. That God right now is speaking to someone that you have been discouraged in the season going, what's next? Am I going to be here forever? I don't know what the next season looks like. Listen, you have been faithful. You have served God. You have remained faithful in each area of your life. The next season is coming and it's going to be one that is a quick transition from a place of prison to a place of power. God's getting ready to elevate you quickly. So right now, I'm asking you to find a place to pray and to receive that word. I don't know what all that entails. 
but God is getting ready to personally elevate you to get you ready for the next season of your life.